Well, uh, you guys uh, can be seated. We, uh, I'll just, I told my wife this the other day, I, I bit off a little bit more than what we can actually chew together. Um, it, today, I've got a ton of things that I want to say, but uh, you know, it's like two sermons worth. So we're going to see what happens. So we've got a lot of work to do together, but we're going to be in John chapter eight, if you want. Some of you are like, yo, I don't have time for two sermons in one. It's okay. We're going to get out at the same time. I will just talk at double the speed. And that's how, that's how we will accomplish this. Um, every family has its quirks. Uh, your family likes to, I don't know, go on trips. Your family likes to arm wrestle at Thanksgiving. Your family enjoys whatever sports and games and activities that it has. My family, uh, we learn that we love like murder mystery things, okay? And so uh, just just to let you know, um, I, I win just about every board game I put my mind to with the exception of one, uh, and that's the game of Clue, uh, which is uh, my wife's favorite game. She is so good at Clue. It's scary, actually, how good she is at solving murders. It makes me wonder you know, is she a criminal mastermind or something? Of course, the game Clue, you know the game Clue. It's uh, you have, you have a, a, a person, you have an object, and you have a place, and you shuffle all these cards together, and you uh, anonymously select one person, one place, and one object, and you put that in an envelope, nobody can see it. And then the rest of the game is what? It's a process of elimination. You're trying to figure out, well, whatever's in that envelope is the true criminal, which means all the other people are, they're not. They're just suspects at this moment. All the other weapons are not. They're just suspected weapons, objects of potential. And you're playing the game. You're asking questions. And through the process of elimination, you figure out who it is. And Ashley, 100% of the time, I, I will know the answer. I just haven't had my turn around. And so she'll always answer right before me. But it doesn't stop at the game of Clue as far as my family's concerned. Uh, just about any murder mystery, any kind of mystery game at all. You can go buy uh, a mystery box at Target, um, and in it has all these little folders and pretend like police sketches and things. And you just you lay all the evidence out in front of you. And as a family, you're like, "Ha ha, we're going to solve this!" And it sounds great. It sounds it sounds like a, a a lot of fun. We've even gone so far as taking this into like Christmas parties, where instead of it being a murder mystery, someone stole Santa's list, and like as you enter our house, you're assigned a character, and you don't even know if you're the one who did it yet. And you just sort of like work that out. Some of you are thinking that's weird. It's just, it's just what we do. And every one of those games, every one of those kind of mystery moments, every one of those clue situations, they, they're predicated on this one thing. You have to have a really convincing plot twist at the end, or else the whole thing isn't fun. Like if you start the game and you know exactly who did it, if you start the movie and you know exactly who did it, there's nothing interesting about that. We crave that plot twist. Not just any plot twist. We get frustrated when the plot twist doesn't make any sense. It's that kind of plot twist that like as soon as it's revealed, all the pieces come into play and you're just like, you're so satisfied in that moment. Am I right? Does anybody else know what I'm talking about? There's like a whole like dopamine hit of like, yes, it all makes sense. All of a sudden, I knew it was the elf or whatever, you know, that's whatever you've got going on. See, we love plot twists in those games, but what if the plot twist is in our real life? We get, we get really defensive about that plot twist, that, that thing that like we thought it was going in this one direction, but if it flips on us, we might resist that flip. We might not want it right away. Every, every marriage uh, that is, you know, they're going into a hard season, that's a, a plot twist that it wasn't going as well as we thought it was. Uh, in your job, you have 
we use the phrase job security. We really like job security, don't we? We like knowing that our job is there when we wake up the next day. But some of us in this room have had that plot twist, haven't we? Where, like, I don't know what the boss is going to do. And then all of a sudden, like 20% layoff. And we have to deal with that. We don't, we don't like that plot twist in that moment. As I was preparing for this message, I was thinking about plot twists that we don't like, that, that flip that we don't like. And I was thinking of, uh, as many of you do, Hitler's Germany, okay? And it's like, golly, man, it's been, it's been like 75 years. Get over it, Jesse. Well, it's interesting to me. It's, a, it's an interesting fact that Hitler was obviously a monster who did evil, right? But he led a people group, the, the Germans, the, the average citizen, they weren't they didn't know how bad things had gotten until the end of World War II, and then it's like revealed to them. Imagine being that citizen. You don't know that what Hitler's been up to. You don't know what all that. You're just like, I'm probably on the good side. I'm probably on the winning side at this moment. You're just a citizen. You didn't cause any of these problems, but you're probably okay. Then all of a sudden it's revealed to you how evil the leader was and how bankrupt our society had gotten in that moment. Imagine what that citizen feels when that plot twist happens, do they accept it? Do they resist it? I think some accept, some resist. There's stories. I had somebody after church one Sunday come up and tell me like, hey, Jesse, you need to tell the story about the Civil War. The Civil War was over, but nobody told this one group of people that it was over. And so they were still fighting. They were like, I don't know, until we hear otherwise. And then they find out it's been like 10 years. The war's been over for a while. But that plot twist is like, well, what was all this, this fighting for. We're going to look in John chapter 8, and we're going to see that Jesus is making a claim that the world is not the way that these people thought it really was. The truth of how the world operates is different than what they've been investing their life in. And some people accept that plot twist. They lean into it, and they get the benefits that Jesus claims would be there. And some people, they resist that plot twist, mostly because they're so invested in the way that things were that that they can't handle this new thing, this new truth. Let me ask you a question uh, before we begin. Um, if it turns out that you've been building a life on a foundation of lies, would you want to know it? Or would you rather to go into the peace of ignorance, living on that lie and having no fruit from it. Let's look in John chapter 8. Man, this is heavy, Jesse. Yeah, it's it's just a lot to cover, okay? Uh, we're going to look in John chapter 8. We'll finish the chapter uh, that, that we've been in for the last few weeks. Um, we'll start in verse 31. Let me remind you kind of where we are. We're in mid-conversation as far as we're concerned. If you were here last week, that was the beginning of this conversation. He's teaching a group of people, and he's explaining to them like where he's from and how he can see better than them? You, you ever wonder why it is that Jesus says some of the things that sound so outlandish to us? Uh, the claim is, is that he can see better than we can. What is it, the question that we've been trying to answer this season of John, what is it that Jesus can see that you and I can't see? Um, and so he's, he's begun that conversation. Uh, he begun by saying he's the light. And if you walk in the light, you have life. Let's see where he goes as the conversation continues in verse 31. It says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you were here last week, he finishes his speech and he finishes talking to all the people that are challenging him. And at the very last sentence of last week, it said that some of the people that were listening started to believe that Jesus was what he claimed to be. It's, a, it's an interesting thing that Jesus is talking to people who are 
or, or challenging him, but in his answers to those who were challenging him, not everybody who challenged him changed their beliefs, but some people who were listening on the side did. So Jesus turns to those who believed in him. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Uh, in this speech, some people start to believe in him, and he turns to them and says, look, look, if you, if you want freedom, you need to abide in my word. If you, if you abide in my word, you will be truly my disciples. This, uh, this idea of abiding in Jesus' word is he's, he's claiming that you need to build a life built on his foundation, the foundation that, that he says. It also implies that you may, up to this point, listener who just started following Jesus or starting to consider the words of Jesus, it also implies that you've been building a life to this point on a different foundation. And a different foundation that's not rooted in truth is going to be rooted in what? What's the opposite of truth? A lie. Uh, and if truth leads to freedom, what's the opposite of freedom? Bondage. And so Jesus, he, he's making these claims that you can be truly his disciple and a follower of Jesus by building your life on his word. And you will know the truth. He's, he's making the claim that they, they've been building their life on something else. <laughs> Jesus can see what we can't see. The, the phrase that he's the light. He's, he says, I can see the effects of what lies have had on you. I can see the potential of what the truth can do in your life. He has a really good perspective of this. Now, okay, you and I were in church, and you kind of knew that I would say something about this, that Jesus knows better than we do. You, you, I think everybody comes into this room knowing that. But we see this also in other areas of our life. There are other corners of your life that, that you see the same activity happening. Uh, if you were a kindergarten teacher, or if you've ever been in kindergarten, you're just learning for the first time how to write your name, and you grab the crayon. I didn't grab a crayon, but you grab the crayon, and you full fist that crayon, and you're like, I'm going to write my name. And you, and you just get into it. You're going at it. And at the end, you've written your name, but your kindergarten teacher is going to come to you and say, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. You don't hold the crayon that way, you caveman. You actually hold it with the tips of your fingers. And that's how you have dexterity. And, and to the kindergartner, it's really difficult. I, but my, my fingers aren't as strong as my full hand. And the kindergarten teacher is trying to teach the student that, yeah, but you're moving in a direction that you're going to need the motor skills of those fingers. We, we see in kindergarten this idea that someone who can see further than us gives us advice that doesn't make any sense in that moment, yet it is for our good to listen to it. Uh, if, if you are a parent or if, if you, you were ever corrected by your parents, uh, you may hear them say the phrase something like, no, 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 we don't, we don't talk that way. I don't know why not. Uh, because when I talk that way, everybody listens. Right, right, right. They listen, okay. But you're not going to have a lot of friends if you keep talking to them in that way. Because as a parent, we can see further than our kid in that moment who is really, really angry. It doesn't have to make sense to the kid in that moment for it to be true that not talking to people in that way is for your good. If, uh, if you've ever worked at a job for a long period of time, and you're the guy who knows or the girl who knows how to do that thing, there's a way to do this job well. And then you have the new guy or the new girl who comes on, and your job is to train them. And as soon as they say the thing the wrong way, the way that you were corrected on way back when, or as soon as they do the thing in the way that is against policy, it is your job to what? To tell them, no, no, that's not how we do things here. 
And they don't have to know like why that rule came to be. They don't have to know why that is true and it will help them in the future for it to actually be effective. What Jesus says to them is that he can see further than they can and he can guide us to truth that escapes our vantage point today. And so as followers of Jesus, it is not up to us to know why it makes sense. It is up to us to obey his teachings and to seek his perspective and direction in all corners of our life. What does Jesus have to say to you about how, how you're treating that neighbor? What does Jesus have to say to you about how you are as a spouse and as a parent? What does Jesus have to say to you as a child who's living under your parents' roof? What is it, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, that Jesus wants you to know right there. Jesus says, you will know the truth, and the truth will what? It will set you free. The end result, our goal isn't fake freedom. Our goal isn't, oh, uh, it's, it's people who want to be in power. I, I saw somebody say that, you know, the Bible is just like, it's, it's a consolidation of power. I don't know if anybody that says that has actually read the Bible, because loving your enemies is not a consolidation of, of power, right? You know, dying to self and carrying your cross every day is not a consolidation of power. It's such a, such a weird statement. We're not looking for fake freedom or the feeling of freedom or coercion or a change in behavior what Jesus' claim is, is that when you abide in his word and build your foundation on his life, you will know the truth. And the truth, even if it doesn't make sense to you now, will lead to real freedom. So let, before we move on, we've only gotten one, two verses into this. Before I go any further, let me ask you a couple of questions. Do, do you want freedom in your life? Do you want real freedom in your life? I wonder if the citizens in Hitler's Germany about two years before the end of the war would have been comfortable having their entire world upended so that they could be on the right side of history, or would they double down? What if, what if you had to give up some comfortable lies to gain true freedom? Would you do it? Would it be uncomfortable for you? Would you resist it, or would you lean into it? If you've built a large part of your life and your hope on a lie, would you want someone to tell you that that was a lie? Would you want someone to help you see that? If there were corners of your life, those precious and cherished pieces of you that were in fact on a lie, would you want to know, would you be better or would you be worse by knowing it? Someone pointing it out. So we're not claiming that we found, as followers of Jesus, that we found some warm, fuzzy feeling of freedom, like, yeah, yeah I feel good, I feel, I feel free. That's, that's an illusion. We believe, followers of Jesus believe, that we've discovered the path to real freedom because Jesus is the light and Jesus is the way. To follow him leads to a true and abiding freedom. So Jesus, uh, he drops, he has his mic. I don't have, a, I can't take this mic off. Uh, he has a mic drop moment. Uh, he says a thing. And what should be is everybody just be like, whoa, let me think about that for a while. And then they just keep their mouth shut. But as tends to be the case, and I think many of us can think of family members that are this way, as tends to be the case, they can't keep their mouth shut. Uh, they have to challenge him. And so this is a pattern that's been building up with Jesus. He says a thing, and instead of them addressing what he said, they challenge him. Let's see what they say. Verse 33. 
says, they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? How can you look at us, Jesus, and say that we're not free? Don't you know who we are? We, we are Abraham's children. Don't you know? How can you say that we're enslaved, that we would know freedom if we followed you? We are followers of Abraham. We are his, his children. Fun fact, uh, real quick for all the history nerds in here, this is such a strange thing. Uh, in, in my opinion. Um, the Jewish people up to this point have been in and out of their land, in and out of slavery, in and out of exile, their entire existence. They have had some moments of freedom, but most of the time they've been in an occupied land. They're living currently at the time of Jesus. They're living in the land that God gave their forefathers, and yet they're in, they're occupied by Rome. They're not truly free in this moment. And the history of them is that they haven't been free this entire time. And yet they claim to have been freedom. They claim to be a proud people. It's honestly just, just, speaking on you know, modern affairs, it's honestly a, a miracle of God that the people group known as the Israelites have existed this entire time. Raise your hand if you like you have a neighbor that they are uh, born and bred Canaanite. Anybody? Uh, you know, uh, an Amalekite. Anybody live next door to an Amalekite? There are all of these like people groups in the Bible that they don't exist anymore at all, and yet we can still go to Israel, the same land that Jesus is in, and it's still with Israelites. That should cause you a little bit of pause about the power of God to follow through on his promises. But the debate, they want to turn to the actual condition of freedom. They, they are uncomfortable being told that they're not actually free. So they challenge Jesus on it. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. See, what Jesus can see that you and I can't see is how devastating little sins can be to us. He looks at this people group and says, you claim to be free, but anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. You're either in bondage or you're in freedom. Which is it, people? Jesus claims to be the light, the only one who could rescue us from sin. And so any practicing of sin, according to Jesus, is real enslavement. Anything that is holding you back, anything that is not of God, you and I do, we practice in, we get involved in, it's not just a one-and-done thing. Jesus says that it has an effect that binds us, it shackles us. We just sang a song a few minutes ago. I don't know if you were paying attention to the lyrics that uh, we want God to bring a revival, and I can hear the chains hit the ground. The thing is, is that most people who are in those kinds of chains, they don't even know that they are. They're, they're in slavery, and they're in bondage, and they don't know it. Or if they know it, they try to hide it, and they feel like they're hiding it to somehow compensating that this fake freedom, I can do anything that I want, is, is being projected to the world. And yet, yet what the Lord is offering is real freedom, that the chains would be brought down. Verse 35, Jesus continues. He says, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Jesus is bringing to their mind like how enslavement actually works. If, if you're a slave in this day and even in American history days, that you are disposable. You are an object, not, not of the family. But if you're a son, you're of the family. And what Jesus offers as the light, that those who believe in him, he gives the, rights to be, the right to become sons of God. That was John chapter 1. 
He's saying you can, you can be a part of this family. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Do you know anybody who wants that kind of freedom? The indeed kind of freedom? Not the fake kind of freedom. You know, the fake kind of freedom is where they, they fake it till they make it. They smile. Uh, how are you doing? Better than I deserve. They, they get by, and yet deep down behind the mask, behind them is just this brokenness. It's not freedom indeed. It's, it's like the projection of freedom. And Jesus, he wants to talk about the truth, but we use the lie to protect ourselves, to project freedom. Do we want real freedom? Jesus continues. He says, I know that you're offspring of Abraham. I know who you are. I'm one of you people. Jesus is Jewish. I know that you're offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. You're you, you are you're descendants of Abraham, but you're trying to kill me. Is that, is that what descendants of Abraham would do in this moment? That seems a little backwards. Jesus is pointing out that motivations, one, he knows them, uh, which is hilarious because that's a secret, uh, a secret plot to kill Jesus. And he's in a public space like, these guys are trying to kill me, guys. And I know it. You know it. Is that what a child of Abraham would do? He, he points at their motivations. It's like, is that, is that the fruit of someone who's living in truth? He continues, he says, I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father, whose daddy is right. Last week, um, we, we were looking at it, the, the people that he's talking to, they challenged Jesus, like, where's your dad? Oh yeah, you've been talking about dad a lot. Where's, where is your father? I think that they were trying to get a little jab on Jesus about, you know, Joseph having died at that moment, but who, who, who knows? It could be a purely head, you know, logical thing. Jesus is like bringing it back up in the same question. He's like, well, I do the things of my dad and you were doing the things of, of your dad. Let's, you, you guys wanted to talk about dads a second ago. Let's, let's talk about dads. This is very similar this moment to the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus in chapter three. Uh, if you were here, gosh, man, that was last year sometime we were looking at chapter three. You know, John three sixteen, the most famous verse. Jesus is talking to a Pharisee. Jesus is talking to Pharisees now. The Pharisee is asking questions of Jesus. The Pharisees are asking questions of Jesus now. Jesus gives the answer to Nicodemus, the Pharisee, and Nicodemus starts to listen to Jesus and, and challenge him on those own, own terms. He, he's like, let me weigh the truths of what you're saying. What they're doing here is that they're going into self-protection mode. Instead of listening to Jesus, instead of listening to the words of God, they are defensive. Do you get defensive when God tries to redirect you? Or do you lean into it? When we are confronted with real truth, self-protection is an instinct that will choose a lie that validates us over a truth that vindicates us. Let me, let me say that again, because I think that this is very important. When, when someone tells us a thing and we become defensive, very often we're choosing a lie that validates our behaviors, validates what we're thinking, validates who we are, rather than a truth that leads to freedom and vindicates us and, and sets us free, actually breaks the bonds that those chains have on us. So, I mean, everybody's pretty mad at Jesus at this moment. Let's, let's see what they say. Verse 39, they answered him, Abraham is our father. You keep challenging us with dads. Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham did. 
But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They look at Jesus and say, Abraham is our father. They want, to, they want to highlight their pedigree. They want to highlight their allegiance. And I just want to tell you, wherever you've come from and whatever you pledge your allegiance to is only as good as it is rooted in truth. Nobody in here is saved because their grandma was a really great follower of Jesus. You can't adopt the faith of the generation before you and say, that's me, I get their freedom. It is on an individual basis that we have this. Jesus challenges them and says, do you even know what you're becoming? Abraham wouldn't have tried to kill someone who brought truth. You know, you know what Abraham did, by the way? If you, if you read how Abraham became a follower of God, he, he was a Babylonian living in just complete ignorance of who God was. And then he hears a voice. It is the Lord and says, I'm going to make a people out of you. I'm going to make a nation out of you. I want you to follow me. And Abraham says, okay, that makes no sense at all. He chooses to follow the thing that doesn't make sense. And he finds freedom as a result of that. These people who are claiming to be follower or descendants of Abraham are trying to kill Jesus for that. The fact, Jesus might be thinking right here, the fact that you're planning to murder me, to silence me, is actually evidence that your version of the truth isn't able to stand up to real truth. How many times do we get defensive rather than actually diving into the claims that they're making? I heard somebody say this, a friend of mine, uh, he posted this on Facebook, and I was like, hey, I'm I'm using that in the sermon tomorrow. Um, I'm not even going to... I don't know who he quoted. So I don't, his name was Josh. He said this, Jesus knew he was right, but didn't waste a lot of time proving it. He just kept going. He's like, I'm just going to tell you. I'm, he knew he was right. This is the truth. Take it or leave it. He keeps going. St. Augustine, uh, famously in you know whatever he was, fifth century, uh, he has this quote. He says, truth is like a lion. You don't have to defend it. Let it loose. It will defend itself. What a great quote that is. You don't have to prove that God exists for him to be effective. It's not up to us. It's good to have apologetics in the church and people who are really philosophical to give the reasons for the existence of God, but God doesn't need our help. All we need is to know what real truth is, and then we put it out there, and then like a lion, it will defend itself. It can take care of its own. They finished in verse 41. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Now they're making the same claim that Jesus made. Jesus says, the father sent me and he's telling you. And they're saying, well, my father, God is sending me and he's telling me the opposite right here. Isn't it funny that we're now at this precipice where both sides are claiming God is on their side. They're going in opposite directions, Jesus and the Pharisees. And yet they both want to say, well, God's got my back. We still do this today. We're going to have just a warning for you. I'm not a prophet or anything. I'm just going to tell you what the next few months are going to look like in America. Uh, A series of politicians that they will get on TV with their cameras and they're going to hold their Bible up and they're going to say, God wants, and then whatever it is that they're going to say. It's really what they want to do, but then they're going to use God because if they got God on their side, you've got to vote for them. And the Republicans will do it, the Democrats will do it, the Independents will do it, the Green Party, is that still a thing? It doesn't matter. They all will claim God is the one who is is promoting this. When when we see like these people going in opposite directions, they, they claim 
that God is on their side. I, I just want one time for someone to look at me and stop saying, well, God wants me to do this. I want them to look at me and be like, you know what? I kind of feel like God wants me to do the opposite, but I really don't want to do that. I want to do it my way, uh, and I'm going to take whatever licks that that has. That would be so refreshing, wouldn't it, uh, if we just were that honest with ourselves? Let me, let me speed up a little bit. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, well, if God were your father, I, I would like to think that Jesus is getting a little bit snarky. If God were your daddy, but you know, I'll, I'll stay with the text. If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. If you were really of God, would you really be trying to murder me? If you were really of God, would you really be trying to shut me down? It's actually easy to know if something is from God. Something your neighbor is saying to you, your friend is saying to you, something your spouse is saying to you, when, even, especially when it's uncomfortable. How, how, much, how much does that align with the nature of God? How much does it align with what you know of the word of God? He says, you know by your own actions that you're not acting as if you're from God the Father. If he were your father, you wouldn't be acting that way. Verse 43, why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. Jesus knows fully well what the problem is. They have their fingers in their ear, and they're saying, la, 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 la. I don't want to hear your truth because your truth is uncomfortable. Do you want truth in your life? Jesus says that truth will give you freedom. Do you want it? Or do we put our fingers in our ear, la, 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 la? Jesus is going to make the claim that their father, the one that they're acting like, isn't, isn't God. Here's what he says in verse 44. You are of your father, the devil. I mean, shots fired right there. You're acting like your daddy, Satan. Satan, your daddy. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. He looks at him and says, you've gotten so used to the lie that the truth seems foreign to you. We see our world through the lens of the devil when, when up is down. Everything is backwards from what it should be. We see our world through this lens when might is right. The strongest person in the fight is the one who is correct and we support. We see through this lens when people are problems that need to be pushed out of the way rather than worked with. We remove the person, therefore we remove the problem. When outcomes are king, as long as I get what I want, uh, I'm okay with it. I don't care how I get there. I don't care how ethically I do this. It, the ends justify the means. That is the ways of Satan. Our default worldview as a culture is so aligned with the ways of the devil, in fact, that we still think of the teachings of Jesus as upside down and world changing. When he says, love your enemy, it's like, wow, you know, how, how did, how, where did that come from? It came out of left field. That's what truth looks like. You and I, how can you tell when you're living in the lie, when you're leaning in the lie, when you're being, when you're being flavored by um, the, Satan, the devil's worldview, Satan's worldview? It's when we demonize other people, when we just push them away. They are a problem, don't listen to them. When we retreat from differing opinions. If we were living in the truth, we should be able to stand up to any kind of criticism to that. It shouldn't cause us alarm. 
when we reject that which we can't understand. I don't, before I even try to understand what you're saying, before I even try to understand what you're doing, I just push you away. Everything that I just described is going to be all over our news for the next few months as politician after politician demonizes, objectifies, and dismisses every viewpoint that is not their own. We are being trained to live that way. And yet Jesus' response is, the truth is going to set you free. Just stand in the truth. I think our world suffers from a form of Stockholm Syndrome. You know what Stockholm Syndrome is, right? They, they kidnap us. And then we live on, and then we start to sympathize with the captors, Stockholm Syndrome. I think it's based on a, a famous story. I don't know what the story is. I didn't look it up. We are in bondage to sin. And yet we've grown to this place where we defend our captor rather than accept the truths of Jesus. The, the truth that he says will lead to freedom. Verse 46. Which one of you convicts me of sin? Which one of you is going to point to me and say, I'm the problem here, Jesus says. If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. If, if you're in this room and you're hearing the words of Jesus and you're like, man, that sounds good. I, I want freedom there are people in bondage. There is darkness and we do need a light. We agree with Jesus about the problems. Jesus is saying that's because God is giving you the ears to hear that. But when we're rejecting truths on face value, when we're not, when we're not uh, challenged by them, we are acting uh, as if uh, Satan is our father. What's going to happen, the conversation will continue. We'll end our talk right here. Next week, if you come, uh, it begins this way. Uh, the, the Pharisees raised their hand. Okay, Jesus, let me see if I understand you. So what you're saying is you work for the devil now, right? You're a demon. Uh, so that, that conversation is going to go off the rails right away. You can read ahead if you want, or you can just join us next week for that. But for now, this idea that if you were living a lie, would you want to know the truth? People all around us, everybody around us, bends their ideas of God to match their actions and agree with their thoughts. They bend God to be in their image. But followers of Jesus, those of us in here who are like, no, I, I, I don't have to make sense of it. I just know how to follow Jesus. Followers of Jesus have learned to bend their actions and thoughts to the revealed truths of God. This is the difference between living in freedom and living a lie. When we try to bend God to agree with what we already wanted to do anyway, we are acting as if Satan is our father. We are letting that worldview bend us. But if we let the truths of God reveal to us freedom, then we start to make our actions bend towards that. We start to make our worldview bend towards that. And then as followers of Jesus, we live in truth. Let me say it another way for everybody. Let's, let's boil this down to simple, simple terms. The truest freedom you will ever experience in your life will be found in a life that is fully surrendered to the ways of Jesus. 100%. You want freedom in your life? Surrender to Jesus. Well, surrender doesn't sound like freedom. It is the freest you will ever be. Because if you and I, if we don't surrender to Jesus, then we're in bondage to sin. That's what Jesus said. Well, I, I can manage it. It's not as big of a problem as, as they make out. I, I'm, I'm ultimately in control. And Jesus says that that is a lie. It's a lie that will not lead to true freedom. It will lead to deeper bondage and it will lead to death, in fact. But if you want real freedom, in your marriage, you want real freedom in your life, you want real freedom in all of your relationships, 
surrender them all fully, 100% to the Lordship of Jesus. Follow him, bend your life to reflect the ways that he's teaching you, and then do the work of learning what is the next thing I'm supposed to be obedient to? How can I follow Jesus better in that corner of life? And if you do that, you'll have true freedom. Let me pray for us as we close out. Father, uh, we, uh, we, we have blind spots. Uh, you know the way. Um, there's, there's so many things that we, we want uh, and we try to pursue them in wrong ways. Father, help us in our weakness to choose you. Help us to surrender to you, to find life in the name of Jesus. I pray, Lord, that, that people, men, women, children, would surrender to the Lordship of Jesus in their lives and taste that freedom, true freedom, um, that can stand up to complaint and stand up to objection. Um, Lord, may we be a less defensive people group because we're so uh, uh, flavored by truth. May we be less resistant to opposing viewpoints because we're so comfortable in your truth. I pray, Lord, that you would you would grow us in your truth, that we would walk in the revealed path that you lead for us, and we would truly be not just people who one time claimed Jesus, but we'd be people who are followers of Jesus day in and day out. We love you and pray this in your name. Amen.